What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron. I'm be honest with you guys. I had a completely different video scheduled for today. I spent all yesterday outlining it. We did a bunch of research and sort of talked through my favorite rounds four through seven wide receiver targets. And then the NFL just dropped all the news in the world on us in the last two days. We had Dalvin Cook signed with the Jets. Ezekiel Elliott signs with the Patriots. You have J.K. Dobbins coming off the pup. You have Brees Hall coming off the pup today. We have a bunch of news. We even have some preseason game one takeaways to get into. And I figure there's a lot of questions. I know a lot of you guys are probably asking, you know, where, where are we taking Ramondre in drafts now? Where are we taking Brees Hall in drafts now? Where should I be taking Ezekiel Elliott? I want to sit down, service the people, and answer all of the questions you guys may have. So today we're going to talk through all of the massive news updates all of the major changes that i'm making to my rankings today from the weekend from these last couple days of news so if you learn something new if you enjoy make sure down below subscribe leave a like let's go now we spent the entire day or not the entire day but the first half of the day updating the rankings on patreon to make sure you guys have the most up-to-date rankings possible patreon.com slash ron stewart you get my top 200 rankings cheat sheet i go into every draft with it we did a high stakes stream earlier today where i use the updated rankings so they're all updated for dalvin cook and Brees hall and uh zico elliott all the changes we're going to talk through today are reflective of the rankings so if you have a homely coming up and you want the most up-to-date source make sure you check it out patreon.com slash ron stewart so let's talk about the biggest news dump of the last two days, Dalvin Cook is a Jet. Now, we'll talk about where I move them in the rankings as we get further and further into this breakdown. But let's look at Connor Hughes' tweet here. He's a uh, Jets, you could kind of call him a beat reporter, but he's a Jets reporter, and he, he operates on Twitter. He's one of the good ones. And here are some of his thoughts. So these are the thoughts from a guy inside of the Jets building every day and watching practices and kind of what he feels is the sentiment around the team. So this is not from a fantasy perspective. It's from a Jets football perspective. And he said the immediate thoughts on the Jets adding Dalvin Cook. He said, Dalvin Cook, is he the same player he was during his heyday with the Vikings? Probably not. Yes, he's only 28, but he has 1,282 rushes and 221 catches. That's a lot of mileage. Last year in 17 games, he rushed for 1,173 yards and eight touchdowns, the key number. 4.4 yards per carry, the lowest of his career. If you're expecting the four-time Pro Bowler who's rushed for 1,000-plus yards every year since 2019, he's probably not, not that guy. But he said, but who cares? Even Cook at 80% of the player he once was is still pretty damn good back. When you're a team with Super Bowl aspirations, you can't ever have enough good players. Something I'm not sure is talked about enough, how many eight-man and loaded boxes are these Jets running backs actually going to see? You'd figure a lot with Brees Hall and Cook. But Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback. Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, McCole Hardman, and Alan Lazard are the wideouts. I can be honest, he's putting too much respect on Corey Davis, McCole, and Alan Lazard here. But loading the boxes means you're taking someone from coverage and putting them up front. Can you really afford to do that with those players out there? I'd really just say with Aaron Rodgers and Garrett Wilson out there. And then he says, this is still Brees Hall's team. He's the Jets bell cow the moment he's back. Cook isn't stealing touches from him. He's spelling and helping him. This isn't an indictment on Hall's health. I'm told he's still on schedule, which is pretty much the biggest takeaway, is that this is not an indictment on where Brees Hall is in his recovery. Brees Hall was activated from the pup today, which is massive, massive news. If, if this news didn't come out yesterday with the Dalvin Cook signing, all of the Brees Hall guys would have been coming out of the word works going crazy. So it's not like it completely offsets what just happened here, but we get a pretty big positive for Brees Hall after a pretty big negative yesterday where he's practicing, he's good to go, he's on the road back from recovery and then at the same time Dalvin Cook has his own injury concerns as well where Dalvin Cook is still working back from a shoulder surgery in that 
he's not ready to practice right now while Brees is. Brees is with the team practicing. Dalvin Cook is still recovering from a shoulder injury that he got, uh, shoulder surgery that he got in the offseason. And that's the big thing with Dalvin Cook. Only one out of the last six seasons that he's played, he's only played six seasons in the NFL, only one time has he played the entire 17 games, or it used to be 16 pre-2021, but you get what I'm saying. Only one time has he played the full amount of games that he could possibly uh, play. And if we look back, his shoulders are a big concern, man. Like, since 2016, 2017, he's pretty much popped a shoulder or dislocated a shoulder or torn a labrum, like, almost every single year. Like, this shoulder surgery is simply a Band-Aid short-term fix to kind of stabilize things. And that's good for Brees Hall because we get Dalvin Cook to shoulder the early workload while Brees Hall is working back from this ACL tear, and then eventually the pendulum is going to swing back, where I think Dalvin Cook is going to be the 1A for the first probably like one, two, maybe three weeks, and then Brees Hall becomes the 1A to Dalvin Cook's 1B. Now, in terms of where I've moved to these players, I moved Dalvin Cook down. I moved Dalvin Cook from RB30 as my 806 to my 904 as my RB36. And the reason I did that is because Dalvin Cook, like this wasn't a good landing spot for him. Miami was the spot. If he goes to Miami, he becomes the lead grinder on this team. He like projects uh, really, really good where this is going to be a team that scores a lot of points, right? And he would be competing with what, like Jeff Wilson, Raheem Moster, and a rookie. Pretty empty running back room for him to be in. But now he goes to the Jets. He's a good week one projection, right? Like an early season hammer where he's probably going to stack his best games early on. But the Jets have a brutal schedule where they have like the Bills in their first six games. I think they have like the Cowboys, the Eagles. They have uh, a really tough slate of games early on. I think they might even have the Chiefs early on. It's a really tough schedule for the Jets here. So now you're going to have Dalvin Cook. He's going to be the lead guy early. But there's not that same upside he would have had on a team like Miami where now late season when we want to win games and win playoff matches, Dalvin Cook becomes worse and worse and worse as Brees Hall works back. And again, Dalvin Cook only one of six seasons has he ever played the entire slate of games. There's a good chance that shoulder doesn't hold up. He takes the brunt of the work early on, and it wouldn't shock me at all if he like missed a stretch of games, you know, in the middle of the season, and then never really put his foot back on the gas as Brees Hall kind of leaves him in the dust. And when we talk about where I, where I feel about uh, Brees Hall here, he was my 307 and my RB11. You have to remember as well, He'd likely be more like my 301, 302, but we were expecting the Jets to maybe add Dalvin Cook, and then they did. So I already had him at 307 as my RB11. He's now my 401 as my RB12. I think I put uh, I think I put Jameer Gibbs ahead of him, and I put him below some of those other wide receivers, but 401 was really the earliest that I could justify. I, I was messing around with the ranks, and that's really the lowest that I could possibly put him uh, in this spot. And just kind of to, to sum up how I feel about this entire situation is that I think Brees Hall comes in, Dalvin Cook takes the brunt of the work early, and it makes it so Brees Hall doesn't have to rush back, which is good. But then once Brees is good to go, this team wants to future the offense around Brees Hall, let him be the main ball carrier in this offense. And that's what's going to happen after those first few weeks of the season, and he works back. This signing, again, isn't that the team doubts Brees Hall or doesn't think he's going to be healthy, right? He's on schedule for week one at this point. This was Aaron Rodgers just took a massive, massive pay cut of like 20-plus million. This signing was simply just a vote, you know, not a vote, but just something to, to sort of make a good faith signing for Aaron Rodgers, similar to the Alan Lazard and the Randall Cobb deals, where it's just, you know, Aaron Rodgers has history with Dalvin Cook in that same division. And you also have a lot of young running backs in this backfield, and they want to win games, right? Michael Carter heading into year three, Bam Knight heading into year two, uh, Izzy Abinaconda is a rookie, Brees Hall heading into year two. All these guys are really new to football, and I think it will help him, Aaron Rodgers, early on to have 
a veteran running back that knows what to do in crunch time and crucial situations. And that's important. Now, it is important to say as well that this is a meritocracy, this backfield. The Jets aren't going to, just because they gave a one-year $7 million deal to Dalvin Cook, that doesn't mean that they're going to like feed him to the absolute max because of that. That's not a crazy investment. Like It's a crazy investment for running backs, but it's just a one-year deal. So if you get to like week 10 and Dalvin Cook isn't good, because it's on a long-term deal, they don't have any incentive to just keep hammering him because they're paying him money. Like it's not they that that money was going to go unspent anyways, right? Like you, they already had a certain amount of dollars to use between where they're at and where the salary cap is at, and that would have just been dead money, especially after Aaron Rodgers did that pay cut. They decided to do something with that money. I think it says less about Dalvin Cook and their investment in him, and it says more about just where they were at money-wise, and it's why a guy like Zeke Elliott got $6 million as well. It's just this is, these are teams, that's the money they have left over. Why not use it, right? Like, I think Jacob Sanderson had a really good line in his Substack about it today, uh, thinking about thinking Substack, and he pretty much said it's like when you're in an auction league and it's your last pick, right? And if there's a player who usually goes for, like, $2 and you have, like, $6 left and it's your last pick, you might as well just use $6. Like, that is kind of the thinking here. And we've seen this team as well where they gave Zonovan Knight last year touches over Michael Carter third round draft capital invested or fourth round draft capital invested. And then James Robinson, a guy who they traded for, and they still gave the reins to the UDFA. Because when it comes to this team, they just play the best player. None of these guys are on some crazy lucrative deal where, you know, it's not like Zeke and Dallas where they like are paying him so much they have to use him. That's not quite the case. And Dalvin Cook to me, isn't what he once was. Like, I think some people are sort of holding on to the past with Dalvin Cook. Like if you look at his efficiency metrics here since 2020, They've all gone down. Yards per carry, 5, 4.6, 4.5. Now, I will say yards per carry has been okay, but rushing yards over expected per attempt, which is just how much are you expected on a given play due to the, the run blocking. This is from NFL Next Gen Stats. 0.55 over expected per attempt is crazy in 2020, then 0.16, and then his first negative. And then you have on percentage of the time, how many times, on a percentage basis, what percentage of carries is he going over what's expected? So not just entirely, but on a play-to-play -play basis, like what's his success rate rushing over expected-wise? 41.9% of his rushes, he would get whatever is blocked and more. And then that went down to 38% and then 32.2%. Then EPA per rush, that's expected points added. So how much are you benefiting your team, helping out with wins? That goes down. PFF grade has gone way down. 10-plus carry percentage, like that's 10-plus yards. So like explosive plays gone down. Yards per out run, he's no longer an efficient receiver. And then FPOE per game, that's fantasy points over expected per game. So you have your, your volume that you're assumed for. How much are you producing over and below that? He hasn't gone above and beyond his expected output since 2020. He's on the decline. He's 28 years old. We know running backs don't have a long shelf life at this point. We've seen, you know, what guys late career David Johnson and Todd Gurley and Le'Veon Bell and all these guys have looked like. This is not the Dalvin Cook that we are used to. And now people are going to say, right, the biggest thing right now is, well, Brees Hall, you know, a lot of the Brees Hall guys are saying that nothing has really changed. And that's not the case. Again, I told you, I moved him down like half a round. But the issue is here that I'm still going to be drafting a lot of Brees Hall. And I think that that's what a lot of people can't wrap their heads around. They're like, Ron, well, if you moved him, you know, this, this signing isn't good for Brees Hall. So how come you're still drafting him? And this is what it is. I, I tweeted about it last night. So the misconception on Brees Hall is this. The Cook signing was a clear net negative, right? Every reasonable person, even me, I like Brees Hall. I moved him down the rankings. The discussion point is how far are you going to move him down? Because if you don't move him far enough down to get below ADP or at ADP, he is going to still be a target for you. And that's where I'm at. We're, now, what I said is if, if you were in on Brees Hall before, you likely don't move him down far enough to not still be a target at wherever his new price settles. He's going at like the fourth, fifth round now. And today's price is not yesterday's price, right? My feelings on Brees Hall are largely unchanged when it comes to the upside scenario. 
And this is the case. Brees Hall, third round pick after today, was bad. But now that he's a fourth, fifth round pick, he is a fine pick again. The price is going to adjust. And the thing with Brees Hall is his ceiling and floor has remained unchanged. Dalvin Cook only affects the median outcome. And in these middle rounds, I'm shooting for the upside. This is the ceiling and the floor. The floor is this. If Brees Hall is not the same post-ACL injury, it will be a split backfield, right? Dalvin Cook is going to shoulder most of the workload. He's likely the 1A to Brees Hall's 1B. And maybe it's even like a Dobbins type where it's complications and he doesn't even play all of the games that he's slated to play this year, Brees Hall. And then you have Dalvin Cook working himself in. It's a clear split. And then Brees Hall is like a fringe RB2 in that scenario. But that was always predicated on the ACL, right? With or without Dalvin Cook, if the ACL wasn't going to hold up, he was never going to be good anyways. And then the ceiling is still the same. If he's back to being himself from like week four, week five on, He's likely one of the five best running backs in the NFL, and the Jets won't be able to keep him off the field. Again, they're not going to just give touches to Dalvin Cook because of this one-year deal. They want this, this offense to be explosive. They want it to be around Brees Hall, and if Brees Hall is clearly the better back by a lot, they aren't going to spell him for Dalvin Cook. Now, again, Dalvin Cook does not change this. The ceiling and the floor still depends on how the ACL is. If the ACL is fine, then he's likely back to himself, and he's one of the best running backs in the NFL. If the ACL is bad, then Dalvin Cook likely makes this an even split, maybe even out-touches Brees Hall this year if the ACL is bad. Now, I want to say as well, you can be out on Brees Hall because of the ACL. ACL, historical data, it's shaky. I understand that you're taking a leap of faith there. I think it's, it's more justified to be out on Brees Hall for the ACL tear and the ACL injury than it is to be like, I was in before, but now that Dalvin Cook is there, I'm out. Dalvin Cook is not the issue. It's been the ACL. Again, ceiling and floor has remained unchanged. They're still both predicated on the ACL, not on Dalvin Cook. Now, the base outcome is let's say the ACL is fine, but he's not, you know, he's like 90% of what he was last year, not 100%. And I'm still fine with that, where in the base outcome, he's like 90% of what he was last year, and Dalvin Cook wasn't as washed as we think. And even in that scenario, he likely has like a 60-40 split, Brees Hall, where he has like 60% of the touches uh, from like weeks five on. And in that scenario, he's getting the red zone work, he's getting the receiving work, and he's kind of the Aaron Jones of this offense, right? Aaron Rodgers had Aaron Jones in Green Bay, and Aaron Jones was on like a 55-45 split, 60-40 split, somewhere between there. He was never this bell cow in Green Bay, and even then, he was a 1-2 turn pick that had multiple top five finishes. Like, Brees Hall isn't a guy that needs 20 touches to pay off. Nobody is saying that he's going to get that volume. This was a guy who had under a 50% snap share last year and was the RB7 counting week seven where he tore his ACL. He was a top seven running back in fantasy on under 50% of the snaps. On 60% of the snaps, now, no longer on a Zach Wilson offense with Aaron Rodgers, he could still finish as a top 12 back pretty easily. He would have the receiving work, he would be used in the red zone a lot, and you would just have Dalvin Cook taking a lot of those grinding touches between the 20s. So to me, Brees Hall is still very much a target. I think it still comes down to how you feel about the ACL. I'm not as spooked as others. I would take him as early as the early fourth. But again, I've moved him down, but I'm still now ahead of where the market has adjusted. So Brees Hall is a target for me. Dalvin Cook... Uh, I'm not really taking a ton of, again, I have him as like a 10th round pick. I don't really see the upside here. Uh, you need a lot of things to break his way. And I think in a lot of leagues, he's going to be like a middle round, like six round pick. Now, other fallout we have from this Dalvin Cook signing is the Miami running backs. And I think that people aren't really talking about the Miami running backs, but Dalvin Cook was linked to the Miami running backs early on, and it kind of kept all of these guys' ADPs down. And now that it seems like Dalvin Cook right? He's of course on the Jets, but it seems like the, the Dolphins aren't really going to sign anybody. Like they haven't been linked to Fournette or Kareem Hunt or any of these guys. 
they're probably just going to let it be with these three here in H.A. and Mostert and Wilson. I moved all of them up. I moved H.A. In from 905 as my RB36 to my 902 as my RB35. So like one running back spot. I moved Jeff Wilson from my 1210 from RB52 to 1203 as my RB48. So about half a round and like four running back spots. And then most of it was my 1211. I moved into my 1206. So like half a round and four running back spots. Just, you know, incremental shifts up. Because I was already sort of like, I already sort of thought that Dalvin Cook wasn't going to sign. I was putting the percent chance probably like 20%. Now that it's zero, I think all of them get bumped up a little bit. But I would be really excited about these guys. Because Dalvin Cook goes there. He's likely the lead back. But now all three of these guys are draftable on what should be a top 10 offense. And to me, Jeff Wilson's role feels the most secure. Now I'm drafting... A-chain the highest and the most because I think he has the most upside here, but I think Wilson probably has the highest floor, where to me, Raheem Mostert and A-chain profiles are very similar back in this McDaniel slash like Shanahan scheme where it's going to be a zone running scheme, the outside zone stuff, the explosive stuff, that's going to go for A-chain and Mostert, right? Like these sub 200 pound 4-3 speed guys. They're both very similar archetypes. The reason to be in on A-chain is they're both similar archetypes. A-chain is faster, he's younger, and he catches passes. So if he can get Mostert's uh, rushing work, and then also get the third down uh, two-minute drill stuff, you're really cooking here with a 4-3 speed Devin A-chain. But then Jeff Wilson, six foot, 210 pounds, as a between-the-tackles, like, banger, grinder type of archetype, Mostert and A-chain uh, are just completely different archetypes than that. So Wilson has that on lock. It's like between-the-20s grinder can work in on the goal line, which in a good back, you actually want those guys. So Jeff Wilson and A-chain are kind of targets for me at this point. Now, moving on. We have Ezekiel Elliott. Now, I don't have a tweet that, like, confirms that Ezekiel Elliott is a Patriot, but we know that he's a Patriot. So, Zeke signs with the Patriots. I believe it's a one-year, $6 million deal with some incentives here. And I didn't really change much, right? We were all expecting the Patriots to grab a free agent running back, and that was already kind of factored into Ramondre's price. And with Zeke, I, I guess I was always kind of expecting, like, the, the Cowboys... Or something not so great like Zeke for me went from my 1405 as my RB61 to my 1307 as my RB54 so I moved him up like seven running back spots and like a full round but it's still it's like 13th round I don't know that I'll really get him much uh Ramondre went from my 305 as my RB9 to my 309 as my RB11 so just two running back spots down and only like four spots of rankings because again I was already kind of factoring in the fact that the Patriots were going to grab a free agent running back it looked like it was going to be Dalvin Cook it looked like it was going to be Fournette and it's kind of the best case scenario that it was Zeke. Zeke is the worst one of those that bunch where Zeke may, might not be much worse than Fournette, but Fournette is scary because he has the receiving work where he can catch a lot of passes and take those dump offs. Ramondre Stevenson, uh, Zeke is no threat to Ramondre Stevenson's receiving role. What Zeke is going to be is the guy who is going to threaten for some of those short yardage goal line type of carries. But I, I still am not all that scared because again, like Ramondre, we were never really thinking that he was going to be an 80% plus opportunity share, like bell cow, 20 plus touch a game guy and a Bill Belichick offense. Like that was never going to happen, but this is going to be a team that is going to use their running backs a lot. Their receivers are too weak not to, right? It's like Hunter Henry, Devontae Parker, Juju Smith-Schuster. They're going to run the ball a lot. They're going to use running backs. Uh, this offense was terrible last year with Matt Patricia. The offense was actually pretty decent under Mac Jones when Mac Jones was a rookie. You bring in Bill O'Brien, which of course, Bill O'Brien, awful, awful GM, but as a coach and a schemer of offense, like he's not terrible. He had Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, taking the te these Texans teams to the playoffs and like doing well, like Bill O'Brien as a, as a coordinator isn't awful. So I think this offense is going to take a step back. This is an offense that always uses their running backs and has them score it in close and on the goal line. And for Ramondre, we want the high value touches and that's what he's going to get. Now, high value touches are touches inside the 10 yard line and receptions. Again, we want pass catching upside as always touchdown upside as always. 
And last year we saw Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson almost split pretty even. Ramondre had 16 of the red zone carries, uh, and Damian Harris had 13 of the red zone carries in all of the games where they both played together last year. Now, even with that in mind, Ramondre Stevenson split these red zone carries and still had the fourth most high-value touches last year again. Touches inside the 10-yard line and reception. So even with splitting the goal line stuff, he was already really high in high-value touches, high touches, which is what we're looking for here. So I imagine Zeke is like a, a lesser version of Damian Harris where he's going to be relieving Ramondre uh, between the 20s on early downs, probably vulturing some goal line work, but I don't think it's going to be enough that it really hinders Ramondre's upside. Like I think that he'll mix in on the goal line. He'll be fine. I know that if you look back, Zeke has a pretty good conversion percentage on the goal line. It's tough. It's tough for me to trust goal line percentages because you could look back. Jamal Williams on the Packers, like his goal line stuff wasn't great, and then last year he just popped off. Like it's usually just very small sample, and it really it's O line dependent as well, just in terms of like getting over the goal line. Uh, I think to me it's more of a usage thing. And Ramondre was the preferred guy over Damian Harris last year, and Bill Belichick has been known to be one of those guys who just sort of lets running backs out there for certain series. So I don't think that they're just going to get Ramondre in and then pull him out and have Zeke be like this goal line specialist. Is it is it a possibility? I guess, but it's not, in my eyes, the main assumption here to take out their what they presume to be their best talented running back for a dusty Zeke because they think that he has like a, a nose for the end zone. Again, maybe. And I moved up Zeke as well, right? He's now in an offense. Uh, and maybe maybe he has that like Garrett Blunt season where he has like 10 plus touchdowns. It's definitely in his range of outcomes. I have a hard time penciling it in though. Again, he's older. And it seems like the Patriots do really like this. Uh, I, I don't know why I was about to say like this Ramondre guy. Like I, I don't know Ramondre Stevenson, but uh, I, I don't. Zeke was like the best free agent running back that could have been there. I'm still taking Ramondre in the late third. Now this also does help the Cowboys running backs. So I wanted to talk about here. Uh, you have Pollard, and then you have Deuce Vaughn, Malik Davis, and Rico Dattle. Uh, now I didn't move up Pollard a crazy amount. Now again, most people thought that Zeke Elliott, if he didn't find a spot, uh, he would just re-sign with the Cowboys. So this kind of moves all of them up. Uh, you get Pollard, who I didn't move Pollard up a crazy amount, moved him up from my 204 as my RB5 as my, to my 203 as my RB4. So I just jumped him ahead of Saquon pretty much. Um, this means there's no Zeke vulturing things at the goal line. And also the exciting thing is too, not bringing in a Zeke tells us that the Cowboys want to pass the ball. The assumption when Mike McCarthy came in is that he was going to want to slow it down and run the ball. Every move that he's made in terms of drafting Ferguson, trading for Brandon Cooks, or just getting Brandon Cooks onto his roster, not making an effort to get another running back or sign on Ezekiel Elliott, tells us that he's going to pass a ton. He, he had plenty of times being in the top 10 in pass attempts when he had Aaron Rodgers uh, back in Green Bay. This offense is going to pass a lot. It's going to be fun. Pollard, again, isn't going to have anybody really vulturing him on the goal line. So it's wheels all the way up for Pollard. And then you have Malik Davis, who I find is the most interesting one here, as to me, uh, I believe that he's the Pollard handcuff, and when you have no Zeke there or no looming Zeke signing, Malik Davis becomes really interesting, where if Pollard was to ever go down, Malik Davis would be a top 20 guy instantly, just in the context of this offense. I think Deuce Vaughn and Rico Dowdle, worth mentioning as well, like there isn't really a clear handcuff here. My money would be on Malik Davis, but it wouldn't shock me to see it be Deuce Vaughn or Rico Dowdle either. Now, moving on from kind of our free agent stuff, we have this J.K. Dobbins news, which is really interesting to me. He gets activated off pup, the physically unable to perform list. He didn't participate in any offseason practices, including minicamp, and missed the first 14 practices of training camp. He was Baltimore's last player on pup, and now he's back out here. He's on the field practicing. He was my 603 as my RB18. He's now my 507 as my RB17. So I moved him up 
about like a little under a round in like one RB spot. Pretty much because we have so many wide receivers in that dead zone, uh, in that running back dead zone. And this pup wasn't so much an injury thing for J.K. Dobbins. Again, he's, this is now like year two out for the ACL, so he should be good to go. It was that uh, it was a contract holdout thing, and these running backs just don't have any leverage. A lot of them are just sort of coming back with their tails between their legs. It's kind of just the nature of what the NFL is right now. It seems like Dobbins is back. He's moving well in practice. There's been a bun bunch of videos. I'm not concerned about his health at all. I think that he was on the pup for like contract reasons pretty much and just couldn't get anything uh, resolved or get a long-term deal. But this is a really talented running back. Leads the NFL among active running backs uh, in yards per carry with 200-plus carries. Uh, his last two years where he's played football in 2020 and 2022, he's been top five in rushing yards over expected per attempt. He's crazy efficient. This offense has a crazy ceiling with all the pass, catching or pass catchers that they signed. Todd Monken's in the mix. And then you also have the upside that J.K. Dobbins actually catches passes. Now, of course, with Lamar Jackson, there's not a 100-catch ceiling for J.K. Dobbins, but he could go from a guy that's like 15 catches in a year to a guy who's like 35 or 40. And that's actually really huge. Uh, in the context of just like running backs in this range and J.K. Dobbins was a guy that something that he can't, Ezekiel Elliott can't even say at Ohio State J.K. Dobbins had over 20 catches every year of his career there so he's somebody that can catch passes maybe take that Josh Jacobs type jump from like 20 catches to like 50 uh, it wouldn't shock me at all so I do love J.K. Dobbins and now anytime that he's in the sixth round I think that he is an auto draft now I also wanted to talk through some of the takeaways from the preseason game where we have Greg Dolchich Moving down, uh, I moved him from my 11.04 as my tight end 11 to my 13.03 as my tight end 15. So like two rounds and four tight end spots. It's looking pretty tough right now. All right, so Adam Trauman was listed as the tight end one on the unofficial depth chart. And then in their first preseason game this weekend, Greg Dolchich only joined the field for third downs and two tight end sets. Last season, he would play significantly on early downs and third downs. You have Troutman, who caught two passes in the first half. While Dolchitz wasn't targeted, Troutman has a history with Sean Payton, consistently playing over 80% of his team's offensive snaps last time he was healthy with Payton as his coach. Troutman was listed as a starter on the unofficial depth chart. Uh, if this carries, or wait, he said, but the fact that he played in 11 personnel on early downs is a problem for Dolchitz's fantasy value. So even in 11 personnel, Troutman is out there, which is really, really bad. He said, if this carries on into the regular season, then Dolchitz likely won't be a fantasy starter. Uh, Chris Manhurts was brought in as a run blocker, and then Payton did refer to Dolchich as a joker in the offense, similar to Taysom Hill or Darren Sproles. The Broncos didn't use Dolchich in these kinds of creative ways on Friday night, but this could help his fantasy value. So it's not a complete, complete death sentence, but he probably has to get moved down. Like, we look last year at all tight ends with 10 points per game or more. They all had a 70% route participation. Greg Dolchich in his first preseason game with all the starters was at 50%, which is not going to work. Now... <coughs> maybe that goes up but he was at just 50 percent he seems on track for 50 percent and we need 70 percent or more for him to be in a meaningful spot so i moved him down to like this oconquo area and like laporta area of like young guys with a lot of potential but we aren't certain like 100 percent certain that they're going to get the routes that we need for them to realize that upside so it sucks those has been a guy that i've been all over but it seems like things are starting to come to fruition in terms of him uh, not being an every down tight end, which you really need. T routes really do breed fantasy points for tight ends. Now, the next guy we're going to talk through uh, based on some preseason stuff is Christian Kirk. We had him as our 506 as our wide receiver 28. He's now our 510 as wide receiver 31. So not really a huge fall. I moved him like four spots down, three wide receiver spots. I really just moved him behind Deontay, JSN, and Lockett. And it's for this reason. With the starters and kind of it's been the buzz in practice, 
he is not out there in two wide receiver sets. It's Zay Jones. So in 12 personnel, when they come out with two tight ends, two wide receivers, it's Zay Jones and Calvin Ridley on the outside, which means Kirk isn't going to have as high of a snap percentage and as high as a route percentage as a lot of those guys around him, like a Lockett, like a Deontay Johnson, which is scary. Now, the report is Kirk had 89% of the snaps in 12 personnel last season with Zay Jones playing 65%. Most expected Kirk to remain in 12 personnel with Ridley, but it was Jones playing in personnel, uh, 12 personnel on Saturday. And that's kind of the issue in that Christian Kirk he can be fine if he's only out there on three wide receiver sets, but it, it really, really caps his upside. Uh, and he looks like more of a pretty true wide receiver three in fantasy, if that's the case. Now, the next thing I wanted to talk through was the Kendra Miller uh, injury and what that means for the Saints running backs. Now, Kendra Miller suffered a knee sprain in Sunday's preseason game win over the Chiefs. For a source, no surgery. He'll likely miss a little time, but optimism from the third round pick will be ready for week one. Now, being ready for week one is cool, but I think Matthew Betts sort of sums it up pretty well here. He said, I'm a big fan of Kendrick Miller, but admittedly the runout has been bad. MCL surgery towards the end of college career, misses all of the offseason program rehabbing, begins at camp on NFI. Alvin Kamara only suspended three games, re-injures the same knee, set to miss more camp. And that's kind of the issue here where being available, getting those reps in is huge for a rookie. He's now even more behind. He's no longer in the mix to get like a, a meaningful, meaningful role in week one. And now I'm moving up Jamal Williams, where I, I moved Kendra Miller from 11.06 my RB47 to my 12.10 as my RB53. So about a little over a round in like down six running back spots. Then we moved Jamal Williams from 10.09 RB44 to my 9.09 as my RB40. So four running back spots in a full round for Jamal Williams, who now is pretty much going to be the main bell cow in this offense for the first three weeks. You're going to have Kamara out on suspension. You're going to have Kendra Miller working back from this injury. And then you're going to have like maybe a dusty Kareem Hunt taking passing down work. But in terms of just the bulk of the carries, the goal line stuff, that's all Jamal Williams. He kind of is that P Ryan where, but he's honestly a better bet than P Ryan where P Ryan, we thought Javante wasn't going to play week one. Javante likely plays week one now. And now P Ryan doesn't get that juicy week one, you know, crazy projection. But Jamal Williams is going to be a guy that you probably rank in your top 15 for week one that you can draft in like the ninth, 10th round on like a zero RB team. That's really fun. Uh, after that, we have the Eagles running backs where there's been some like negative reports out of camp uh, about Rashad Penny and a lot of Gainwell buzz. Uh, I think Jacob sums it up here uh, pretty well. He says, Penny is a player I'm shifting down most from preseason. The contract had us on alert. Now, and my contract had us on alert. He got paid very, very little money. Uh, now add middling reports, camp snaps with third team, playing behind Swift uh, and possibly Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott in preseason. And there's too much smoke for me with the upside of early down committee back. I've been roughly at market on each member of the Eagles backfield thus far and may stay that way if Gainwell shifts up and Penny comes way down. But a range of outcomes featuring cut risk and topping out at a two down back is tough to swallow anywhere near his current ADP. He also may not be healthy. Now, I'm not as low as him on Penny. I moved him from my 811 to my RB32 to my 906 to my RB37. So five running back spots, about like a half a round. Uh, but the sentiment does remain, right? The reports have not been good. He is a cut risk. Uh, Gamewell is heavily in favor there. But I do just want pieces of this offense. And Rashad Penny, to me, still has a lot of upside as a pure rusher in the context of this offense. We'll sort of see how the, the where the price settles out. Maybe I'll move him down another round. But Penny's still a guy I want to draft. I, I'm not all that concerned about him getting cut. I, I did read those reports, but... I would be kind of shocked. Now, Gainwell has also been getting a ton of buzz where he, like, was essentially – he didn't play the first preseason game. Now, I will say I think that that was just, you know, him and Boston Scott sat out because they have experience in the offense. They got Penny in there. They got Swift in there in a preseason game. I don't really think that that means that they're the starter, but it does seem like this team values Kenneth Gainwell highly. It seems like he is uh, just as good as a bet as DeAndre Swift to get either third down, long down and distance stuff or the two-minute drill work as, like, a passing down back. 
He's really interesting. He was amazing in college. He has a lot of pass catching upside, Kenneth Gainwell. I just want pieces of this offense. So I did move him up from my 12-12 as my RB54 to my 12-07 as my RB50. Now, the last guy I wanted to talk about from preseason hype is Ty Chandler. Uh, we moved up a little bit. I moved him from my 1507 to my RB. My 1507 is my RB 63 to my 1403 is my RB 59. So I moved him up four running back spots and like a roundup uh, in the rankings. But he was featured a ton uh, in that first preseason game. O'Connell, the head coach, said, I thought Ty Chandler jumped out because anytime he had the ball in his hand, very rarely was he tackled by the first defender. Ty Chandler, who was scheduled for a big night of work as the Vikings try to determine if he can overtake Keenan Wangu for the number two running back spot, carried the ball 11 times for 41 yards, caught another four passes from Mullins for 29, including an eight-yard gain on a check down that set up the Vikings' first field goal. So he had a really good night. He looked explosive. And the thing that really stuck out to me, four catches, right? Right now, to me, he seems like the leader in the clubhouse to be the passing down back, which is important, right? We want those passing down guys, right? Like two-minute drill stuff, third down stuff, long down and distance, and then he also looks explosive as a runner and can mix in in between the tackles. So if you have a guy like that, you're sort of looking like a Jalen Warren where he could be the passing down guy, mix in between the tackles, and then be one of the best handcuffs in the league where if Alexander Madison went down, Ty Chandler would be instantly startable. So I've been moving him up, inching him up, inching him up. And if we keep on getting good reports for Ty Chandler, he will be a guy that I'll be drafting a lot of. Now, again, that's going to do it for us today. I just wanted to sort of cover... Uh, all of the stuff that I've sort of been shifting in the rankings. Now, of course, if you want access to those rankings, you have a homely coming up. I take this rankings or this cheat sheet into every single draft with me. You can check it off as you go. There's tiers where I would draft every single player. It's all you need. There's no fluff. There's no like a billion words to read. It is just simply a checklist, my top 200 rankings that you can take into your home league and absolutely dominate. So make sure you check that out. Patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. It'll be in the description and the comment section down below. Also, you get a bunch of really cool stuff. You get weekly rankings. You get rest of season rankings. You get my start sit streams on Sunday mornings, exclusive to the Patreon and more. And then I'll also say as well, I'm updating these rankings every single Sunday. So I updated, updated them today. I should have another update on Sunday. And these rankings will keep on being fresh for the good people on Patreon. But if you can't support there, I hope you enjoyed the video. Leave a like, subscribe, and I will see you guys in the next one. Froze, ice cold, oh, oh, ice around my body like